And welcome back to another episode of I'm Not Gonna Be Quiet. My name's Danika and I'm your host. If this is your first time joining us or you have been with us since the beginning, it's important for me to share that this is a space where folks step into the circle of community, sharing the path that they have traveled to find liberation after periods of staying silent about what harm has been done to them. And so in each interview, we get a chance to hear and learn from our guest what they refuse to be quiet about, what their silence costs them, and the price they have paid for their freedom. You're here, I'm here, get comfortable, and let's get free together. So today's guest is Dr. Vanessa. Her pronouns are she and her. She is a licensed psychologist, stumbled upon her on Instagram, and everything that she was saying was reaching my spirit. And so I'm so grateful that she took the time to accept my DM and um, agree to come on the podcast and talk about what she's not going to be quiet about. I feel like this is going to be another episode where we are getting some incredible gems, where we're able to apply what is offered and, you know, perhaps transform our journey. And so thank you, Dr. Vanessa, for joining me. I appreciate your time and welcome. Thank you. I am so excited to be chatting with you and so glad you reached out that we were able to make the time happen. Yay. I'm so excited as well. And it is indeed my pleasure. So um, before we jump right into, you know, that first question, tell us a little bit about yourself and where we can find you. Sure. So um, Dr. Vanessa Freeman, it's my full name, but Dr. V, Dr. Vanessa, Vanessa, it's all good. Um, I like to get like the professional business stuff. I feel like we all lead with that. And I was thinking about that today in preparation of our conversation. Like, why why do we lead with work when we get asked what we are about? But I'm going to do it anyway and then share like who I am as a person. (laughs) So like you've already heard, um, licensed psychologist, business owner of my own private practice called Searching for Self Counseling and Consulting. Um, I provide individual therapy to Black women primarily, but other folks as well. And really, I just enjoy helping Black women sit with what they're feeling and find a path to vulnerability, joy, ease, breast pleasure as a form of resistance to these larger systems that tell us that we can't have it. Um, and that looks a different, a lot of different ways for my clients. I do that through workshops as well, podcast appearances, um, a newsletter that I have that I send out bi-weekly. So a lot of different ways I'm trying to reach people. Um, so that's like the professional part of me, but like the fun, just me of it all. Um, 
because I'm a wife and partner. So I've been married for almost 12 years now, <clears throat> which is wild to say. I don't feel old enough to be married that long. Sister, daughter, auntie, friend, all those roles are so important to me and shape so much of who I am and how I see the world. I was born in New York, but I'm raised in New Jersey. My parents are New Yorker, New Yorkers, so I also feel like that very much shapes um, my upbringing and the way I see the world. My mom's Puerto Rican, my dad's Black. So again, another layer of how I see the world. So there's just a lot that makes me curious about how we operate, how we move. And I loved how you said um, getting free together. I love that. And so any way that we can have conversations around that, that immediately sparks my interest. And it's something I can talk about all day long if people let me. Well, you're in the right place. You're in the right company. <laughs> there are so many things that you said that are like buzzwords for my soul, including mm. shape, resistance, Black women, curious, see the world. All of those things, I feel like, um, are interwoven into our basic tenets, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they shape how we see the world and see ourselves in the world, like you were saying. Um, so I just, I feel like already there's some kinship hair. Yeah, um, love it. I'm excited. Yes, me yeah. too. I'm very, very excited. All right, so we know where to find you. And mm -hmm. we've learned a lot about what you do. And it sounds like you have a wonderful practice. Um, and I am so, I'm so curious, I guess, if you don't mind, before we jump into the first question, I'm curious about what motivated you to curate your practice to um, center Black women. Mm, mm, oh, boy. That could be a whole conversation in and of itself. So I'm going to try to keep it succinct. <laughs> okay. um, a lot of my professional experience has been working in higher education and at predominantly white institutions. And the last job I had before I opened my private practice was at a university counseling center, predominantly white university counseling center, where I was brought in to a, one of two people, another Black woman along with myself, to serve... Um, the African-American and Black students on campus, which at the time was a very exciting thing. I felt like I was going to be able to come and do some really good work. Um, no surprise plot twist. That is not how that happened, especially when you start trying to advocate and make change and challenge white niceness and white supremacy and all of that. Uh, you find real quick that people don't actually want you to do the things that they hired you to do. And ultimately, I wound up leaving that place because it became very toxic, very harmful. Um, and when I decided to go into private practice, I said, well, I get to choose who I serve. And I have spent all of my career primarily taking care of white folks, like young white women and men um, with quite a bit of privilege. And I just didn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> and especially knowing that at least for psychologists, Black folks make up 4% of that. And I know myself, when I go looking for a therapist, I want someone who looks like me. And so it just felt wrong to then not center it on Black folks, but Black women in particular, um, because we hold two identities, Black women, and then any other identities you throw in there that may be marginalized. There's like a double, sometimes triple, sometimes quadruple whammy. And 
I just really wanted, that's where my spirit was pushing me. It's like, make this about black women, make this about black women. Like black women are looking for you, looking for someone like you. So just curate this space in that way. And that's what lights me up and made this work that much more enjoyable. And so it just felt like, then this is what I want to do. And we're going to see how it works. And so far it's been going really well. It's really good to hear. Um, and I love hearing you talk about how, what lights your spirit up and how you allow yourself to let that lead you. Mm. Um, I think it's important, like you said, I think there are a lot of um, Black women out there that have been on this journey of wellness and 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 healing. And, and I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna say that, <laughs> but they're looking for someone that mirrors so many of the identity markers, because I think that's uh, the first step in uh, developing trust. And so that's really important. I also just want to acknowledge that you highlighted that 4% of psychologists in this country are Black. Yeah. That's so low. Yeah. And, you know, I think I talked about this in my first episode where I had Dr. Adams on here, who's a uh, psychiatrist. And she and we talked about how 2% yeah. of Black Black It's wild. It is so wild. It's so wild. Um, yeah. So and whenever I get then people saying, like, I have a video about my practice on Instagram, and I don't know if they're real people or bots, but it's usually white men in particular, and sometimes black men who get angry at the fact that I only focus on black women and then really start to question, well, if your training is you should be able to work with everyone and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you really don't understand anything to be saying that to me about why I am making that choice. It's not that I can't work with other people. It's not that I haven't worked with other people. It's that there are plenty of options for folks who are not Black to seek out people who can meet them on an identity level. There are not that many opportunities for us. And I want to save that space. That is sacred, special, important space where the people who need it in this country <laughs> being beat down every single day just trying to survive so i get i get real passionate about that and have to stop my instagram fingers from going off in the comments <laughs> i get it i'm so glad that i am so um delayed in terms of uh social media because i feel like that would activate me as well yeah because i i really think you know that pushback is really rooted in um racism and mm -hmm. anti-blackness, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like racism isn't about like, I don't want you to have this because I want it, but like, I don't want you to have anything. Right. And I want to have all the stuff. Right. So, you know, good on you for, you know, giving the clapbacks when you have it and then just stepping away when you don't. Yeah, oftentimes I'm just deleting and blocking because I'm like, I don't even know if you guys are real and I'm, I don't want to give my energy away to a place that it's not needed, but it it is hard because I I really want to I want to tell people about themselves, but I refrain. <laughs> I get it. Listen, self care, preservation. Listen, Audre yes. Lorde talks about that, right? It's, yes, it's, it is a radical political act. So mm -hmm. I applaud you. All right, so Dr. V, let's jump into it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm so excited um, to hear what you have refused to be quiet about. Yeah. So when I was thinking about that question, there's a lot of things. One of them are the things we've just been talking about. Um, So really leaning into talking about the impacts of racism, anti-Blackness, misogyny, patriarchy, capitalism, in a really loud way. Like doing that on the internet is very scary to me because you open yourself up to lots of different things. Um, But I just, yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to not speak on it. And I knew that there were people, mainly black women out there who needed to hear and be uh, brought to awareness. Like some of this stuff that we embody is not ours. Like it is not inherently ours. We've been given it by these larger systems and convinced that they are ours, that they're innate to us. Um, When I hear black women call themselves lazy, I'm like, that is not ours. We are not lazy in any way, shape or form. We're in systems that force us to produce like machines. And for black women, we're in systems that force us to caregive for everyone at the expense of ourselves. And my own experiences has pushed me to really challenge that the black women in my life that I see, my clients, it's just as like, this is this is a, a recurring theme that comes up. How can I speak on it more loudly and more broadly? So that was one thing that came up. And then more personal to me was just about my own journey pushing back against that. And a lot of it came to uh, came around um, like my mental health and well-being and my authenticity. So a lot of my life feeling like I was too much or like I needed too much, like um, I wasn't strong enough if I couldn't persist or be resilient and suffering being like a flag of doing something right. And it got to a point where I was just like, why, (laughs) why, why, why this doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel good. And I think it really was around the time when I left my job and decided to take this huge risk of opening a business when I don't know how to do anything like that. And that was not in my plan um, to say, okay, well, I'm going to try to claim my corner of the world of my life for me because life is short and I don't want to be small. I don't want to not be who I am. I want to find joy. I want to find ease, rest, joy, pleasure. Like that's why those are the the words that I use so often in my materials is because that's really what I'm seeking and what I want for so many of us. So those are the things that I'm like, "Mm -mm, we got to take some of the silence around this away so that we can all embrace it a lot more. So um, thank you for all of that. The listeners, you can't see me because you're listening, but I need you to know that with everything Dr. V is saying, I'm like spirit hands and <laughs> I'm I'm almost fully body rolling um, because <laughs> I'm, I'm giving an ashe to all of it. And so I also, let me just acknowledge, like, I hope this is not, <laughs> uh, distracting for you, but I'm, I'm cheering you on with everything that you're saying. No, it's great. It's great. It's affirming. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, that's the beauty of community um, because we get to see ourselves in each other and whatever uh, remnants of gaslighting that 
you know, institutions and systems and people have, um, you know, harmed us with, they start to dissipate when we see each other um, in one another and we're hearing the language. And um, so, yes, we are are sharing space and on the same page. So I want to make sure I'm clear on the two things that you're not being quiet about. One is decolonizing our mind, right? Mm -hmm. Like really being curious about why we think the way we think and what we're saying and why we say and do the things that we say and do. And it's linkage to just how we've been socialized through patriarchy and misogyny and misogyn noir and mm-hmm. colonialism and anti-blackness and, and just mm-hmm. all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second one is just pursuing your authentic self. Mm-hmm. Um, removing the layers of this, you know, capitalist system that teaches us to give, particularly women and specifically Black women, um, Mm -hmm. to give until we have nothing left to give, to give without rest, to give without care, um, and to just give and just saying, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. In fact, we're going to pursue um, joy. We're going to pursue what is going to fill our cup. Does that sound right? That is 100% correct. <laughs> so I'm curious, this is huge. And and I, I wonder, because you've talked about, you know, working in institutions that are like PWIs, Um, and not feeling fed and then realizing that, you know, their, their aim at inclusivity really wasn't that, um, Mm -hmm. and, and leaving. And so I'm curious if the time you spent at these PWIs is what catapulted you into realizing like, this is not the truth. This is actually a lie and just rediscovering yourself because, you know, she's always there. Yeah, that's a really great question. I think, so from the moment I left my hometown, so my hometown is a little, outside New Jersey, it's a tiny little town, not far from the city, um, predominantly brown and black. And the white folks that were present were Portuguese. And so I feel like, like you have to be there to understand why that felt a little different. There are also white folks growing up around brown and black people. So it doesn't mean that we didn't have our things It just means that when I left home and I went to my alma mater, University of Delaware, which pulled from the tri-state area, privileged white people, it was different. And the number of brown and black students on that campus at the time that I was there was so small that I was often the one, you know, black person on the floor or one of two in the class or like you really felt what it felt like to be out of the bubble that I grew up in. So I think certainly there was something about being plopped, like taken out of one environment that felt, still didn't always feel comfortable because of my biracial identity, which is a whole nother conversation, into a, a, a space where it was like, oh, you're definitely not white. So no matter what you're mixed up with, you're definitely not white. That really started me to be even more curious about well, why do I feel so uncomfortable? Why do these students seem to have an easier time here than me and people like me? And 
you know, why? Why is it like this? And pretty much my whole schooling, so I stayed there for my master's degree. I worked at University of Maryland, which is another predominantly white school, though a little more diverse. And then I went to school at Florida State University for my doctorate, which is another predominant white university in the South. Um, you know, it just, that whole experience, I kept asking that question and kept looking around and saying, why? Why is this like this? And why does nobody seem to care? Why is no one trying to change what this is and make this different for folks like me and other folks who are not the majority in these spaces? And so I would say that really got me started on being curious about that and wanting to use my voice to do something about it. And so I I think over time, I was always trying to like, I was always the person who would raise my hand and be like, well, let's talk about how race impacts this. Let's talk about how gender impacts this. And I think everyone around me would get annoyed. Um, but I just felt like if I'm not gonna do that, nobody else is gonna do that. We're all just gonna pretend like it's fine. Like that doesn't sit right with me. Um, and it, it just, in my, at the older I got, the more confident I got of like, I'm just gonna talk about it. And people are gonna be mad and that's fine. And it's gonna hurt. And I may get some retaliation as a result, but again, this is how change happens. And I don't claim to be, you know, someone on the front line doing the like the dangerous heavy lifting work that some of the activists out there do. But I try to see it as me doing my little part. And I was spending a lot of time doing DEI work and things like that, trying to convince white people to change. And it just got to a point where I was like, but what if we changed? What if we just started saying no? Then these systems might have to actually do something differently. So I don't know if that exactly answered your question. If it did not, please redirect me. But that's what it made me think of. I love how you're you're talking about, you know, in your pursuit of just figuring things out and uncovering things, you shifted from centering, um, you know, whiteness to centering yourself, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. To centering black and brown people, which um, is critical in the journey of decolonizing your mind. It's critical in reestablishing and reclaiming all that is your birthright. So um, mm-hmm. that's a really useful piece of information for folks who are on this path or have been on this path and can see themselves in you. I hear you talk about your time at the PWIs and feeling isolated. I'm curious if there was any other pieces of hurt or harm that you felt um, that kind of accumulated, also worked, helped catapult you into just reclaiming yourself? Yeah, I think it was the feeling like I had to be small like I had to make myself small. I think that was really, it just got to a point where I was like, but why? (laughs) Especially, and I'm sure there are a lot of folks listening, especially if you are black or brown and a woman, (laughs) uh, where you look around at some white people in particular in power and you're like, but how? But, But why not me? Like, if you could do it, why can't I do it? And I just, again it was why am i making myself small why am i hedging what i'm saying why am i you know doubting myself when i know what i know and i know i'm not you know you're the smartest person in the world but i'm not i know some things and they're valuable and when i talk it seems like people listen and i make people feel things 
And I've shied away from that a lot over my life just because, you know, you get told you're too loud, you're too much, you're too extra, you're too emotional, you're too this. And that just makes you feel like, well, then I have to be small. I have to be, I have to not rock the boat or make waves or make people feel uncomfortable. And yeah, in the last probably three to four years, I just kind of started saying, but why? <laughs> Again, who was that for? And how do I lean more into what I see as my strengths? I, yeah, I'm emotional, but I feel like that allows me to help other people access their emotional, their emotions. Yes, I talk a lot, but it's usually when I have something to say, I'm not just talking just to talk. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm observing, and when I feel like the time is right, I'm speaking. And yes, people listen to me. There's something about whatever energy I bring that I used to shy away from that now I'm like, well, no, if that helps me help other people, then I'm going to lean into that. And since I've started doing that, I've felt so much more confident and so much more clear on my purpose and just more energized for the work that I do overall. And I know I can feel it. Like when I have conversations like this, it feels good. And so that's what I really try to pay attention to is, okay, well, even if it's hard or it's scary or it's controversial or whatever, I'm going to lean into that because that's telling me I'm on a path that's meant for me. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think your body and your spirit are the first indicators that something is right mm -hmm. or something is wrong. And I'm just celebrating. I just want to take a moment to celebrate you you know, just being curious and be, again, being willing to listen to spirit um, and be being willing to liberate yourself. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm just curious just to kind of unpack a little bit um, for those, because I know there are tons of people that are in that space that you just talked about now um, and, are, and some and a lot that are um, on that path to liberation. Can you can you talk about a particular experience, if you can recall, where you were made to feel small? Um, you were asked either overtly or covertly to be quiet. Um, and what feelings um, that you recall being attached to that experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um the one that come one of the ones that comes to mind is at the last place I worked um, was predominantly white staff. By the time I'd left, that had changed. You, I'm not going to say their name because I ain't trying to get no smoke. But if you go look at their website now, unfortunately, they did a good job. White supremacy won, and it's all white people again. Um, and so that place it survived, right? Like it chewed us up and spit us out, the folks who were there. And I say that as the context, because when myself and the other black woman who came in with me to do this work came in and we started, we were younger than some of the folks there. Um, some of the folks there had been there for 10, 15, 20 years. It's very indoctrinated into the space, the culture. And when we came in starting to challenge, well, why do we do things that way? And how, who does that privilege and who does that leave out? And you say you want us to come in and do this for this particular population, but then the center itself isn't changing. So that can't work. Um, and a lot of what we got was, well, this is how it's always been done. Uh, we have historical knowledge. You know, you don't really know why. We've tried that before, it didn't work. Um, on top of, you know, now we're making people feel uncomfortable. So we were once a family and now we're not. So a lot of those kinds of somewhat coded language to say like, stay in your place. You just got here. 
do what we want you to do, but not really. And my, what they didn't know was myself and my counterpart were not the type to do that <laughs> in yes. any way, shape, or form, which is ultimately why neither of us are there anymore, because we chose ourselves over a system that had no intention to change. And you look, you know, a couple years later, and that's exactly correct. So that was a time where it felt like that. And it hurt. It hurt a lot. And it was stressful. Um, I used to shake going into staff meetings, like feeling like I was gearing up for battle, like I didn't know what to expect. Um, it was all I could talk about. It was all I could think about. It was, it really took a lot of energy and emotional energy and just time. And I don't say it lightly. In one of my videos online, I say like, I would have died if I stayed there because we know stress just negatively impacts our body. And I have no doubt I would have gotten sick like it just wouldn't have ended well. And so those are some of the things attached to feeling that way that then made me say, I don't, life is short and I will not let my life be like this for y'all. So I'm gonna go and do what I'm gonna do because I know I can. And mm. here we are. Ashe. And so it gives an, an even deeper meaning to doing sacred work as you described at the top of the podcast. Um, working with Black women is sacred work because mm -hmm. you're right. We know, you know, I just talked about this in the last episode. We know the social determinants that predict, you know, how long we will live or what ailments will develop. Um, mm -hmm. And that's so important to be aware of. And I just want to applaud you for moving through that, right? Living through that and then finding the courage um, and making a plan and, and, and realizing like, they don't really want to change. Nope. And this is just nope. going to be a continued fight. Yes. And I really do. It really flipped. And I, I one thing I want to make sure I definitely say is it wasn't me alone. Like I am so fortunate and blessed and grateful to be surrounded by people who encouraged me, who have had my back who believed in me, who listened to me, like I could not have made any of these decisions in a vacuum by myself. So to your point about community, like, yes, you need it to make these changes. And I also encountered many black women, like the, the center I was at would bring in DEI people to come and try to fix whatever we had going on. Oftentimes they were black women, which is a whole other conversation for a whole nother time. Um, and a lot of the, the, one of the last ones, Tanya, oh, I can't remember her last name, but she came in and she really introduced me to, for the first time in my brain, this idea of like, we don't have to wait to be liberated. We can do that ourselves. And a lot of the folks, you said that's a group of like folks of color in the center. And we all kind of bristled at that. Like, what? We can't do that. That's, we, but we need white people in a sense. And once I really got to sit with what she was saying, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. We can do this for ourselves. And that's really what drives a lot of what I do now is I can't change the larger systems, but if we stop playing in them, then they have to change, right? And if they don't, then we'll create things for ourselves where we don't have to play the same game. So that's why I push so hard and I say some of the things that I say, not to like victim blame us, but to say like, we actually have a lot of power. It's just, we have to find courage. We have to be put in positions. We have to have community. Like there's privilege about me being able to leave. I want to acknowledge that. 
But even if you can't do that on a big scale, are there smaller ways you can push back to liberate yourself? And that's what I'm trying to do. And I think it's working. You know, the interesting thing about this podcast, it is, is that it is very new. And although I have different people, different uh, women come on, um, they're just elements that are the same, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I have a had a psychiatrist, had a social worker, had um, a professor. It's so interesting. A lot of, you know, a lot of what you're saying, our story is just always going to be, some part of it is always going to be the same because there's right now always going to be these structures of oppression and systems of oppression. Um, but the flip side of that is that there are always going to be Black women willing to lead and and share how the steps, you know, the steps that we can take to get free. And so what you're doing now, being in community with me and being in community with their listeners and sharing your experience is going to be, um, it's going to be a light. It's going to be um, a path marker. It's going to be a map for people to figure out different ways that um, they can try to liberate themselves. Because you're right, there is certainly privilege in being able to say, mm, nah, I'm not doing this. And yes to self and yes to doing your own. Um, but, you know, there are still, there are so many other paths to liberation. And I'm curious mm -hmm. if you can talk about some of the tools that you used while you are within that system and feeling, um, you know, activated and feeling targeted and feeling unseen and unheard. Um, and, and, and I wonder if you even felt traumatized, like how mm -hmm. did you manage, you know, going into those meetings and having to partner with folks that were just working against you? Yeah, that is, that is a great question because my spirit wants to say everybody quit and let's burn it all to the ground right like the real oh, extreme radical part of me is like nah we're not doing that burn it down but then the realistic part of me that understands people got to feed their families people got to pay their bills like not everybody can move that way you know yet my hope is we get there one day um and so really trying to ask that question of well if we have to be in these systems because even though i don't work at a predominantly white institution, I still pay my taxes. I still live in this country. Like I am still a part of these larger systems. Um, and so to folks who are feeling like they are stuck or they don't have the ability to leave or move or, you know, whatever the case is, I would say the antidote to that is to then make sure every other space in your life, you are centering yourself, your need, your joy, your rest, your pleasure, right? Like if we have to work and be around systems and people that are trying to deplete us every single day and even destroy us in some ways. And that may be extreme to some people, but that's what I believe is happening. Um, if we have to do that because we live in a capitalist society that makes us have to have money to live, then the way we can push back is saying, but when I clock out, I clock out and I go and I find my joy. I say no to things that don't align with what I need and I want. I set boundaries with people who don't, you know, help me move in the path that I want to move. I rest. I take naps. Like I follow the Nap Bishop on Instagram, Trisha Hersey. Restless Resistance is her book. It's amazing. 
Yes. I'm going to do, I'm going to reclaim it. Right. Like that's for me, that's my space. And so that doesn't get rid of the nine to five. It doesn't take away the, the trauma that we experience being in these larger systems. But I do think that if we say when five o'clock hits, I'm done. I'm not going to overperform at work. I'm not going to go above and beyond. Then we do start to give a little bit back to ourselves that not only gives us what we need, but they can ripple out beyond us, right? I talk to a lot of my clients who are parents and I say, you're modeling for your children how to do this. And if you can do it differently, then they will have a different picture. And that just ripples on and on and on. And so that's how I see my work is I can't change everyone, but maybe if I can reach one person and they do something different, then someone sees that and then they do something different and so on and so forth. And maybe at some point it burns to the ground. <laughs> yes. Yes. We are on the same page. That's, I mean, that's the goal, right? Because I don't, I don't know that these systems can be dismantled. I think they have to be destroyed and then yeah. we rebuild. Um, so I am with you every single thing that you said, um, there are steps to doing it and we do it at our own path or, Mm -hmm. um, our own pace and we do it in our own ways, but it's just important that we do it. And so I know in my spirit that it's happening. I feel like I just said this in the last, uh, podcast, but this is the revolution because it's pockets and pockets and pockets of people that are saying and doing the same things in the goal of liberation mm-hmm. and reclaiming self. And so I believe we are getting close to that tipping point where yeah. we have this global paradigm shift or at least national. Right. Right. And and we just and and we just recover and we heal and we individualize our lives in a way that is independent of capitalism and misogyny and just all those horrific Mm -hmm. violent systems so thank you for saying all of that you're i think you're reaching people and um you're leaving folks with steps to liberate and to recover um and to do Mm -hmm. it you know in the way that's going to work best for them so ashe and i think even to to just be the further put a point on it like it doesn't have to be huge things like I think sometimes we think it has to be a whole day or a whole week or it can be I'm just ending my day at five and I'm not answering emails after work it can be I'm taking an extra five minutes for myself to meditate right like these small things can add up over time and so even if you're in a position where you can't you don't feel like you can make these big grand changes the intention And the effort is what really matters. And whether that's one minute or a whole month, like that's what you latch onto. And over time, you see that that does allow you to feel a little bit more free, at least for a little while. And so that's the thing that I really, you know, I know you said one of your last questions is for people to take away is like, you can find the pockets for yourself and they don't have to look like anybody else's. They can be completely yours, tailored to your situation and your needs. But it's the intention, it's the carving out space that I truly think that's the act. The intention of saying no or yes to something that's truly for you, that's that's the the, the revolutionary act to me. Um, instead of just feeling like you gotta go along with what is 
and you don't have agency because in some ways we do. Okay, 100%. I appreciate you saying that. And I and I just appreciate the the way you laid everything out, right? Like you talked about, you know, what being silent cost you. You know, you were having like physical reaction to mm-hmm. violence, to mm-hmm. racism. And you had a moment where you were unwilling to continue in that path because it was harmful. And you were like, mm, I'm out, I'm done, I can leave. And you did that. And then you started to rebuild yourself, your work, your practice, and your just way of living and existing by divesting from a lot of these uh, violent systems. And so you've given us a map, right? You leave when you have the right exit strategy and the right time. But in the meantime, you can use all these tools to protect yourself and to recover. Um, which I think are transform uh, transformative, right? So whether you're in a space where you know there is just like gross violence, egregious violence, or you're working for yourself, you're still within a system, right? Mm-hmm. We can't divest from um, the country that we live in and all of these systems, but we can separate ourselves to some degree, and mm-hmm. so. I feel like you've said it, but I just want to be really clear um, because you've left so many wonderful gems with our listeners. What, you know, what are you hoping that folks will at least leave with? Or what are you hoping that folks will leave with? And it might just be one thing or a couple of things, but what's most important for you to leave our audience with? Yeah, I think it would be we deserve it's our right to be happy, to have joy, to know peace, to rest, to know pleasure, and for things to be easy. Like I think so much of our culture and even what we see as Black folks in our communities is that if you're not suffering, you're not doing it right. And that has a legacy from slavery, from race. It's like, that's what we're passing down unintentionally and not maliciously. And I think when we recognize I don't have to exist like that, I can make different choices, big or small, that allow me to actually enjoy this life and it not just be around suffering and working hard and grinding ourselves to the bone until there's nothing left. Like that is what I want people to remember. It doesn't have to be that way just because it's been that way. And just because the world tells us that's what we deserve. We deserve so much more than that. And I I just hope people can hear that and then move with intention from that place of, okay, it doesn't have to be this way. How could I make this just a little bit better? How could I have a little more joy in my life? How can I be playful? How can I, you know, just put my feet up for a little while without feeling guilty about that? Those things are transformative and liberate us in ways that we can't yet see, especially if there are people around us who observe us and see oh, you can do that differently. If you're doing that, maybe I can do it. And so on and so forth. So really just believing that's what we deserve. Suffering's not the only way we have to exist. And we have the power to be intentional about our choices that give us a little bit more of the things that help us feel good and access our full humanity. Because at the end of the day, that's what gets robbed from us the most is being full human. 
Ashe, Ashe, that, I mean, it, it, you can't say it any clearer, any better. Um, all of those things that you listed are birth, birthrights. That's what we're mm-hmm. entitled to. And, you know, I just, I find with my own just lived experiences, sometimes I need somebody to tell me those things. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, and then I'm like, oh, cause it's, I think it's embedded in our cells and in our spirit. And we just need something external to activate it. If yes. there's nothing internal activating it. So thank you for saying those beautiful and wise words. Um, it's a gift. Well, thank you. And thank you for creating the space for these things to be shared. And, you know, we, we, I talked a lot about our individual kind of, um, responsibility and work but I do think collectively like you're saying community is also so important and the more we share with each other the more we're in community with each other the easier it becomes because then we can see oh it's not just me I'm not doing this wrong I'm not weak I'm not whatever there are other people out here trying to do this and I can draw strength from that I can trust that there will be a net somewhere somewhere to catch me when it's hard And so I appreciate you creating this space for us to come and talk and put it out there and to share and the work that you do, because I think it helps amplify the message, right? And that's what we want in order for these changes to happen at some point, whether they're tomorrow or 20 years from now. Yes, it's my pleasure. Um, Similar to you yourself, my care for the last 20 years, has been in serving black women and families. And so it is also, I share the sentiment that it is a sacred space. And, you know, my my intention is to remain as liberated as possible and to always pursue curiosity and knowledge and freedom. And if I can share that, um, then, you know, people who want it, take it. And then people who aren't ready for it, leave it. Right. Um, so thank you so much for, again, agreeing to be on my podcast and sharing your journey, sharing how you recover, um, sharing how you heal and sharing how you just trailblaze, uh, because I think that's what you are, a trailblazer. Um, and so thank you. Thank yeah. you. That's very kind of you to say. And again, I just appreciate I am glad that we were brought together like this. I think it feels good to be in conversation with you and talking about these things. And so I I just appreciate it. So do I. Thank you for saying that. I, I feel very warm and I feel very seen and heard and in community with like minds. So this is exciting. We're wrapping another episode. I appreciate you tuning in. We'll be back in two weeks and we're going to talk more about what we're not going to be quiet about. Be well, everyone. Thank you.